This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Very well, mate. Not bad at all. How about you? Yes, all good. I think I've got a little bit of a cold, so apologies if I sound a little bit nasally, um, but I will do my best to ensure that that doesn't come through on the audio. I feel absolutely fine, but I've sneezed twice already this morning. I think I might be a bit bummed up, so apologies if it sounds like that, but hopefully not. Um, But looking forward to getting into another good weekend of Championship action. Plenty of talking points and controversy for us to get our teeth into in the next hour. As always, a reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms. And make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Massive thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, please visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. Massive thank you, as always, to to them for supporting the podcast this season, which helps us do what we do on a weekly basis. And on today's podcast, George, we will be, of course, dissecting the weekend action with late goals and penalty controversy to get our teeth into. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. And we're going to start, George, with the Friday night game. And I think this might be the first time we've ever put Birmingham at the start of the running order in a positive sense. And I think it was important to lead with Birmingham this week because really big result on the pitch. But I think it just sums up where Birmingham are off the pitch as well in terms of the unity with the fans and... It's not something that we've been able to talk about very often since we've been doing this podcast or anyone's really been able to talk about in the last decade with Birmingham City because it's been so negative. But things on the up, certainly on the pitch, better feeling around the club. In terms of the action on the pitch, I was very impressed with them last week uh, at Ewood Park against Blackburn Rovers, which I spoke about on last week's pod, and even more so against Queen's Park Rangers. Manny Lagello has been someone who's been, been getting some rave reviews, I think, with the the, the performances of Tahiti Chong, Hannibal, um, Austin Trusty as well. I think lagello has gone probably a little bit under the radar at left wing back on loan from West Ham. But good time to talk about him when he gets his first goal. Really nice finish on his right foot coming inside. Um, and of course, that made it 2-0. John Ruddy, good good penalty save as well under the lights uh, to deny Lyndon Dyson. It was just a perfect evening for Birmingham, really. Got in front early against the league leaders. I've got to be honest, I don't think that Trusty meant it. I can't say on my heart of hearts that he meant it, but it's a cracking finish nonetheless. Um, Lagello doubling that lead and then just to really get that good feeling, a penalty save as well, which I actually didn't think was a penalty on first viewing, but when you see it from sort of the side on, you see that he does kick him in the face in fairness. So it was a penalty, but it looks soft looking from behind the action. But when you see that side view, it's definitely a penalty. Um, and and just on Birmingham, as I say, 19,000 at the ground for a Friday night game on Sky. We know Birmingham are well supported, but that's the highest attendance post-pandemic uh, they've had at St. St Andrews. And I think that under, underlines where Birmingham are at in terms of the unity on the pitch. They've, they've finally got a team that they can be proud of again. And John Eustace is a great figurehead for that as well. The fans have instantly took to him. And I don't think Birmingham fans want the world. I don't think they've ever wanted that. They've wanted a bit of stability off the pitch, which they probably haven't got still, but things have gone quiet, which, you know, given their look recently, no news is good news at this point, is it really? If you've not got, you know, prospective owners talking rubbish on TalkSport for clicks and etc, etc. No news is good news. And it's really great to see for a fan base that has suffered. Boeing have always been really good, particularly with their support away from home, very vocal, very loud. And it's just nice to see a you know a good sized club, you know a big club at this level, a club that's been in the Premier League very recently, a lot more recently than a lot of clubs that we might suggest are not bigger clubs, but in our minds are more likely to get promoted. And they deserve a little bit of happiness, Birmingham fans, for the um, for the turmoil they've been through. So great to start with them on the pod for a positive reason. Two 0 win against QPR, who obviously were second in the division going into the weekend. And a really good result that they deserved. And I know you watched the game, and I'm sure you you in particular want to talk about one person in in on loan from Manchester United. Yeah, I certainly did watch it. For once, I actually had a free evening in my life where I could actually just sit down and watch a game of football. And I'm really glad that I did. I thought Birmingham were superb. I thought they, you know, 
the early goal obviously helped, but they came out of the trap so, so quickly. They looked up for it. They didn't look at all afraid by the fact they were taking on the league leaders, obviously been so good recently. And it epitomised everything, what John Eustace has built over the last few weeks. And I think when you consider when he got that job in the summer, everybody, you know, looked at it and thought, it seems like a backward step, perhaps. He's not really, you know, had much of a managerial career so far. He's proving everybody wrong. And, you know, obviously he, he knows the club inside out. His family's packed full of Birmingham supporters. And I actually saw a tweet on, it might actually have been Saturday morning, the morning after the game, somebody saying that almost him and Troy Deeney have brought Birmingham back to life because of their love and association with the club. And I think it's very true because, you know, right throughout that team, he's got the perfect blend of, you know, somebody really experienced in Troy Deeney, somebody who knows his way around this league in the back of his hand, like Scott Hogan. And then you've got the blend of the youngsters that are coming through. And, you know, it just seems to be, you know, the match made in heaven for everything that Birmingham could ever wish for. And I watched that game Friday night and I thought to myself, this looks like a team that could really, you know, could go far this season and pull a few surprises. The youngsters are fearless. They've, you know, they've got nothing to lose. They're enjoying what they're doing. They're playing with smiles on their faces. And it feels like almost as though Birmingham, you never know, could they be outsiders for the playoffs this season? And obviously in a league that's becoming so wide open this year. But obviously, I think back to last season, Birmingham, they got off to a really good start last year. They had 22 points, I think, at this stage. So they've only actually got one point more than they had at this stage last year, which is surprising considering... It also underlines how, well, how badly they dropped out yeah, under Lee It Roy. does. I, I, I'd not realised they started that the yeah. season that well last year. Yeah, they did. They were, they were. I'm just looking at the table now, and I've got it up after 16 games last year. I know they played 17, and they were 13th with 22 points after 16. And I know they lost the following game. So they're only one point better off than, you know, at this stage last season, which is surprising when you consider how well they've started this year. But I think they look better this year. They look Definitely. more organised. They've got flair in the team. And Hannibal, I'm, I'm absolutely lost for words with should, that young man. Should He's, he have been sent off? I've seen them given. I've seen I them given. I think he was a little bit fortunate, it, I have to say. He was lucky. And I actually tweeted, actually, at half-time, just how well he was playing. And I said, ideally, they need to get him off before he gets himself sent off. And as soon as that challenge went in, the fourth official's board was up with his number on and off he went. But he was brilliant. And, you know, the Birmingham fans are absolutely idolising him. Everything he's about, he's got the passion, he's got the energy. And I know, obviously, from, you know, covering Manchester United day in, day out as my, as my job, that Man United rate him so, so highly. They, they think he's a real star in the making. And it's clear to see why. So, John Eustace, you know, in that regard, he's he's brought in some really good young players. Longello, I thought, was brilliant on Friday night. Took his goal really, really well. Such a composed finish for a young player. Trusty, did he mean it? Probably not, but he's not going to not gonna complain, is he? What a beautiful finish that was. A trusty so, finish. it was indeed. But, you know, they're looking a good side, Birmingham. And, you know, over the last few weeks, the confidence has been growing. The fans are, you know, we've seen it in the reaction on our Twitter page, haven't we, and the responses we've had from from some of our most loyal followers. And they've been saying about just how entertaining the football's been. They've never experienced a buzz around the place like it for quite a few years. And, you know, I think they've only lost one now the last six games for Birmingham. That's a really good run. And they've won three of those. So they're looking good. And the best thing for Birmingham is now they're starting to look stronger at home. That's the key ingredient for them. It's four and beaten at home now. Obviously got a point against Burnley not long back at home. You said they were very good against Blackburn last week and were unfortunate to lose. So it seems like they really are on an upward trend at the minute. And who knows, is a, is a playoff push out of the question? I think with how the league's shaping up, I don't think it can be discounted. They look a really good side, well organised. And John Eustace, for me at the minute, I'll probably say in terms of managers, probably the surprise package of the season. I think the the aim for Birmingham, in my view, has got to be a top half finish. I think that would be an amazing Definitely. season for them. It would I think, be. I don't Without think they finished in the top half of the championship since like 2014 or something stupid like that. They've been just dragged into relegation fight after relegation fight, and I don't think they've got the squad depth to to challenge at the top six personally. But I do think they've got a really good team and a top half finish. That you know, if they finished 12th, that would be an amazing season. Given plenty of people, including myself, predicted them rock bottom or in the bottom three because mainly of the off-field problems rather than a lack of belief in John Eustace. Certainly for myself, it was more expecting them to be undermined off the field, uh, which is why I thought they struggled. Plus, the inject you cannot underlie, uh, you know, you can't undervalue the injection of quality that Chong, Hannibal, Bielik, 
uh, Longello coming in, which all came in before we'd done our predictions. That that's massively lifts the quality of this squad, which I don't think anyone could argue with. Burnley, George, top of the championship. Good week for them with two wins in a row. But boy, this one was uh, filled with controversy at Turf Moor. Try and run you through some of, try and run through this in chronological order to try and get the full impact of what happened. But Reading obviously took the lead as well, which was a, a turn up for the Bucks. It was a little bit through nothing in truth. Long ball up, Mate wins the flick. Tom Ince gambles and it's a really good finish. And he's been in obviously great form this season for them. And I've really enjoyed seeing Tom Ince back playing well because I think he's a very good championship player. I think he's changed his game. He's not, I don't, I don't think he's playing. You know, he's playing more central this season and he's scoring probably more goals than he did. Whereas before, I remember him being a bit more flashy, playing on the right, cutting in on his left. Um, so good to see he's adapted and, and clearly playing with a lot of confidence. But Manuel Benson with a finish, uh, nice volley from the edge of the area, got Burnley level with about 20 minutes to go. And then it all exploded in, in stoppage time. Uh, Tom Ince again involved. He goes down in the area from a challenge from Ian Matson. Referee says no penalty. Obviously, Burnley then go down the other end. It's a lovely cross to the back post. And Zaruri, who's been in fantastic form, heads into the back of the net. Paul Ince was absolutely livid after the match. It's a joke, blatant penalty. We've been robbed, every cliche under the book. And in fairness to Vincent Company, just came out and went, yeah, it was a penalty. I completely agree and I'd be upset as well. So um, no doubt that Reading should have won the game probably. I mean, they've got a penalty to win it and end up losing it. That's the championship, I'm afraid. But, yeah, what a game at Turf Moor. And Burnley have had a really good week, obviously, winning it in the 90th minute against Norwich with a penalty kick. Late goal here against um, Reading to win the game as well. So, really good week for Burnley. They stay top of the championship and that unbeaten run, of course, continues to go and going right to the death to get these victories. It certainly does. I mean, it's 15 unbeaten now, and I think it's something like one defeat in 40 in the last champ. You know, one in the last 40 championship games that they've lost now from the last time I, they were not, in the league. I'm not having stats like well, that. It was about 10 years it, ago. The manager's different. All the players. It's a stat. It's a stat. You know, I like my stats. I'm using it. But no, that, let's be that's honest. This they're, week's they're joint top. They are flying, aren't they? Let's be honest. And you know. We always say if teams find a way that deep into injury time to win, it's the sign of a team that's got something going for them. And I watched the game midweek against Norwich. I thought they were absolutely superb that night. I thought they bossed that game. I thought they were far, far superior to Norwich. Played really, really well and obviously required a J. Rodriguez penalty to win it. But the performance, you know, particularly in the first half, I thought they just carried so much of a threat. Zorori was causing so many problems down that left-hand side. Norwich couldn't deal with him. He was skinning Max Ahrens, who we know is a really good right-back, time and time again. And it feels like, obviously, when you've got that much belief and that much momentum going for you, you're going to find a way. And that's exactly what they did against Reading on Saturday. But, of course, this one, it's going to be remembered for that controversial call, isn't it, towards the end of the game with the Reading penalty decision. And I think it says it all when Vincent Company, the Burnley manager, is coming out and admitting that it should have been a spot kick. So you can understand that, you know, Paul Ince felt very aggrieved and who can blame him? Because, you know, it it was a penalty. There's no doubt about it. It should have been given. And, you know, running up until that point, really, looked set for a, a fantastic away point. And then all obviously all drama exploded. And, you know, Reading can't be too disappointed in the fact that they've gone toe-to-toe with a team that's flying high at the top, played well. But obviously the penalty makes it feel such a devastating result and the fact that obviously they, they conceded in the 94th minute as well. But I think it's one result, you know, in a strange sort of way. I know you've lost, but I think it's one Paulins can take positives from in the way his side have played. They're continuing to do a hell of a lot better than most people expected. I mean, they're only three points off the playoff places. Everybody tipped them to go down this season. So, you know, they can't be too disheartened by it. But for Burnley... I think there's just the fact now that you've got more and more players obviously chipping in with goals. They're spreading them about. One defeat so far. The only team still unbeaten at home in the league as well. Got a five-point cushion back to third now. They look a really, really good they side. They look the most a, likely team to string they more do. wins together and win and, the league right now, don't they? Like, like I said, any team that can you know put 15 games unbeaten run together in this league you know, has got something going for you. That is not an easy challenge. We know how cruel this league can be. And I think we've seen a little bit of everything from Burnley in the last week. Obviously, they came back from two down at Sunderland last weekend to win 4-2. You 
They obviously dominated the game midweek against Norwich, but needed a penalty to win it. Then they had the spirit again to come from behind, this time in the 90th minute to win it. So, you know, they've got everything going for them. And you can see the players are really loving playing under Vincent Company. They're enjoying the style, the smiles on faces. And, you know, I'm kind of looking at this squad and thinking, where did he come from? Where did he? There just seems to be more and more players, you know, seen on the score sheet, just popping up out of nowhere. And I think the thing for Vincent Company that's got to be pleasing for him is that Burnley are not solely reliable, reliable on the goals of Jay Rodriguez. I like and, the know, wingers score goals, don't yeah, they? Yeah, Teller, Zeruri, they do. Benson Teller, off the bench in this yeah. one. That's what I mean. He's got goals coming from all angles, and that's what you need. And let's not forget, Josh Brownhill's chipped in with a fair few already as well. So it's looking really promising for Burnley. And at the minute, I would not bet against them winning the title this season. I know it's only October, but they look a really good team. And with Queen's Park Rangers dropping points, George, it's Blackburn Rovers now up to second in the division. Four wins in a row for Yondal Thomason's men, firmly putting behind that wretched run of win-loss, win-loss with four wins. And most importantly, back-to-back away wins for the first time this season. We know how good the form's been at Ewood Park. Away from home, they've struggled, particularly offensively. But back-to-back away wins with three goals scored at Middlesbrough and Hull. Not easy places to go. Good victory. And they, they deserved it. They dominated the first half. Adam Wharton's assist was beautiful for Smodic, who had actually had two chances before that, particularly the second of his three chances, which was a far easier finish, but Baxter kept it out. And then this one, I think he takes it that early and uh, it catches Baxter off guard. And obviously it's a really tight angle and he gets it in. And that's his third goal of the season. He looks a far better player playing as a number eight or a number 10 with Blackburn switching to a 4-2-3-1 at the weekend. Um, lovely run, lovely pass from Adam Wharton and, it was in central midfield that Blackburn Rovers, particularly first half, dominated the game. I want to shout out Tyler Morton, who I think has been... I think he's raised his game to a new level in, in October. I think I was probably one of the later ones to get on board with Tyler Morton. I think I was probably... I wasn't that impressed in August and September, if I'm being honest. I was more impressed with him off the ball than on the ball. Ball recoveries, winning tackles, which is not the sort of player I expected him to be. And... He's not, and he's now flourishing. He's now showing that that quality as a Liverpool loanee where he can dictate the tempo of a match. I think he's a lot more skillful than we saw, and I think he's just probably been adapting to the tempo of matches and how to dictate the play, and he really did do that against Hull. He did it in some of the home games recently, and October's been a really big month for him. Started every single game of the eight, um, apart from the defeat at Cardiff, actually, and he's been fantastic. Dom Hyam as well, he's going to be up there with one of the signings of the season if Blackburn do well. He just looks like a young Daniel Ayala. He looks like Ayala when he was at his pomp playing for Middlesbrough, getting promoted. Wins everything. Aerial duels on the floor. He can pass, he can play as well. And he just never looks flustered. He's just so composed. You know, you see balls, that, you know, tricky balls played into the channel where you're like, you could just kick this out for a throw-in or deal with it. But no, he gets his body in. He, he holds off the, the attacker and he recycles possession and Blackburn keep the ball. So he's been excellent. Tyler Morton's been excellent. They've And along with Thomas Kaminsky, they've probably been the three standouts in October for Rovers, where when you look back at the form, they've actually won six of eight in October. And given they've played Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, this was their first free week. That's pretty impressive for a team that's been inconsistent prior to that, particularly when the fixtures have been tight. So really, really good month for Blackburn Rovers. Um, Hull... Put some pressure on in the second half. No doubt they were better, but no shots on target. It wasn't a Kaminsky masterclass. He didn't really have a save of note to make, unlike the win over Birmingham last week. And up to second in the league, they've got winnable fixtures coming around the corner. They've got Coventry away on Tuesday night, which God knows where that's going to get played, but we'll come on to that later when we talk about Coventry. And then Huddersfield at home as well. So two games that, you know, if they could get four points from, they're probably going to go into the the big derby, which obviously rounds off the championship campaign before the World Cup break against Burnley, um, second in the league and possibly Burnley first. So that's going that that fixture is going to be absolutely mouthwatering when that comes around in a fortnight's time. Um, but with Coventry and Huddersfield to come next week, you know, there's no reason why they can't take at least four points from those fixtures. And it's just been a great start. It's been a fantastic month, you have to say, because even the two defeats, they were very crap games to be honest, very attritional games. But Blackburn should have took a point in both. It was a mistake at Wigan and a missed penalty in the 90th minute at Cardiff. Although they didn't deserve to win those games, they could quite easily be sat with 20 points out of eight and unbeaten. So 
Really good month for Rovers. Four wins in a row and up to second in the league. Yeah, without a doubt. It's, it's looking very rosy, isn't it, for them at the minute for Blackburn. I mean, I think the biggest takeaway for me is that obviously Yondal Thomason came in in the summer, implemented big changes. It's, it, you know, it's, it's quite a young squad and, you know, there's a lot of inexperience in there. And I think he actually, you know, mentioned after the game at Hull that that was one of the reasons why they're not drawing games at the minute is because of the, the youngsters being so inconsistent in the way they are, which, you know, is understandable. They're young, they're learning. But I mean, 11 wins so far this season. It's more than any other club in the top two tiers of English football so far. I think in the whole pyramid of the, the EFL and the Premier League, I think only Plymouth have won more. So it's not exactly bad going, is it? And Yondal Thomason, you know, I think the win, you know, at Hull at the weekend, that's one of those games where you just go there, solid away performance, get the job done, clean sheet, onto the next one. And that's exactly what they did. And if you want promotion, they're the sort of away games that you need to win. And when you look at the table now, they've got a three-point cushion to QPR, albeit QPR have got a game in hand. But they've won 11 out of 18. Nobody else has even gone into double figures yet of wins this season. Even Burnley are only on nine. So it really does, you know, explain just how well this side's been doing. And I think so much, you know, so many players have come on in leaps and bounds. You mentioned Tyler Morton there, who's gone up to the gears. Wharton's come on as well. Smodic's obviously got a goal at the weekend too. So, you know, they're not just reliant on Ben Brereton-Diaz, even though he was excellent at the weekend. He, he led the line so well. I've read in reports that basically he was just so selfless in his game. He was absolutely everywhere. But when you've got other players around you that can chip in, obviously Sam Gallagher's been in good form recently. Didn't get a goal at the weekend, mind, but he's been scoring of late. It just, you know, it shows that you've got that capability to not just be reliant on your main man. And that for Yondal Thomason is key. These young players are only going to get better with time. Obviously, four wins in a row. It's not an easy thing to achieve in the Championship. It really isn't. So, it's looking really good. And like you said, this coming week, Coventry away. Lord knows where it'll be played. It might be the end of your garden, Elliot. Who knows? Um, and then we've that would got... Be, that, I'd be up for that. That would be great. Yeah, that would be a much easier commute. Much easier commute for me, yeah. Um, and then, obviously, they've got Huddersfield at home at the weekend. So, you know, that Huddersfield game you look at and you think it, it's nailed on. I know there's no such thing in the championship. We would like to think it is nailed on three points. That's going to get but clipped Covent- Yep, no doubt. We will see. If uh, Blackburn lose that game, I apologise now. And you'll remind me next Sunday, no doubt. Um, but, you know, that game midweek at Coventry, that's one of those that genuinely could go either way. Coventry is such a funny team at the minute, and we'll come on to them, I'm sure, shortly. But for Blackburn, four wins in a row, locked in second place. Obviously got a six-point cushion now back to seventh. You know, people keep questioning, can they keep it up? Will they fall away like they did last year? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. But at the minute, just enjoy what's happening because they're looking good, they're, they're winning games. And for Yondal Thomason, really, he, he probably can't believe just how good a start he's had. Absolutely. Sheffield United, 2-0 winners at West Brom, George. Big win this for the Blades, the first in six for them after a, a poor run of form. Illiman and Jai, that's that's all I've got to say. Absolutely brilliant. The the first goal um, is a good poacher's finish, but the second goal I love. I think it typifies everything that Njai can do. Strength, skill, tenacity, just leaves two West Brom players for dead. Good decision-making as well as he drives with the ball to feed McBurney. Good first touch, confident finish from a striker in good form from his point of view. And they saw the game out well. Some good defending, albeit a little bit hairy at times. Uh, Rian Brewster, unfortunately, another one added to the injury list to go with Reese Norrington Davis, who got injured uh, recently at Coventry. So that that is still the you know that is what's undermining Sheffield United. But this was a good statement win, and Jai's so good. I love watching him play. I do think he's fantastic. The the, the speed, the strength, the tenacity, um, the improving quality in his decision making and his shooting and his his, his assisting and creativity. That, that second goal was everything that he is good at and it's a really important win for Sheffield United on the road. Absolutely, and one they desperately needed, didn't they? And it could have so easily been one of those games where, you know, the new manager bounce of West Bromwich Albion could have haunted them, but, you know, the Blades, they went there 2-0 up within, what was it, 22, 25 minutes, something like that. And yep. they just got the job done. They coasted to victory, really, in the sense that they were comfortable for the most part. And, you know, when you've got someone like Njai weaving his magic, you've always got a chance of winning any game of football. That young man is, is exciting, isn't he? He really is. 
He's got so much about him. He's got the pace, the trickery, the ability to run with the ball and, you know, such a, an eye for goal as well. You know, his, his goal yesterday, you know, it looks easy, but it was far from it. It was a measured, composed, composed finish. It certainly was. And that's what he's all about. And, you know, you look at him now and do you consider him up there as the, you know, the most exciting prospect in the championship? I think he probably is now. I really do. And bearing in mind, you know, he's only 22. Don't turn 23 until March. You know, there's a lot of promise going for this young man. It's nine goal involvements this season, seven goals, two assists. Um, you know, he looks a really, really good player. And Paul Heckingbottom has obviously got so much trust in him. He's played in every single league game so far this season. Played throughout that recent drop-off United have had starting every single game. And, you know, you look at the Blades now and they've got to use that win to their benefit now. Try and, you know, get back on track, get back on the winning trail. Because all of a sudden, you know, they've got a little bit of hunting to do in, in terms of chasing the top two. Obviously, there's a long, long way to go and things are going to change. But, you know, you would rather be in the top two than out of it. It gives you that confidence. And when you look at the Blades' upcoming set of fixtures ahead of the World Cup, they've got a bit of a mixed bag. They've got Bristol City away in midweek. I think that's one of those that could go either way. I really do. Bristol City again, quite a funny side. But next Saturday... Burnley at home in the lunchtime kickoff. What a contest that promises to be. That really could be a belter. Then they've got a South Yorkshire derby with Rotherham. And then they've got a trip to Cardiff in their last game before the World Cup. So, you know, on paper, it's a, it's a mixed bag. And Sheffield United, if they're up and they're at it, there's nothing to say they couldn't take 12 points from 12. Obviously, Burnley will be very, very difficult. But on their day, this Blades side have got quality in abundance, certainly at the top end of the pitch. So, the World Cup break, personally, I think will come at a good time for United, regardless of what happens in these next four games, because it obviously allowed them to recover some players, certainly at the back with the injury problems they've had. But after the run they've had, they're still in the conversation, and it's quite remarkable they're still in such a good position, you know, considering they've been on such a, a long run without a victory. It just, you know, shows what a good start they made. So I think United will be up there. They'll be in the conversation. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't. I still wouldn't rule out a top two finish with with them and Burnley because I think they've got the quality, and they've got the obviously the defensive ability once everybody's back to probably be one of the best of the rest. So, you know, big win at the weekend, but I think the challenge now is they've got to build on it. And obviously, it's easier said than done. But Bristol City away, you know, it's an opportunity, isn't it, with their defensive record? Carlos Corbranin at West Brom, George. Your immediate reaction to that? No immediate bounce, obviously, at the weekend. They're now rock bottom of the championship. It's a it's a big job to sort them out, particularly defensively. And that that's not something you would necessarily say that Corbran will instantly fix because he was very good, obviously, last season with Huddersfield, but he was atrocious in the first year as well. So until he gets the right personnel in or gets that pre-season and that training, the World Cup break is really important for them, isn't it? That, that is... The perfect. This is the perfect season for West Brom to be crap, really, and bring in a manager like Carlos Cobran because they're going to at least have a month to work on his methods on the training pitch and try and sort this out because they should. For this squad to be rock bottom is is a joke, really, isn't it? Let's be fair with the talent they've got. They they they've got a good manager in. I think Cobran's a good appointment. We sort of spoke about it with it being like last week, um, but it's a big job in it because they've been atrocious for nearly half a season. They certainly have. They've, they've been awful, haven't they? They really have been awful. Two wins in 17 games. Two wins for a team that, you know, has got the likes of John Swift, Jed Wallace, who, you know, everybody praised for the signings of those two in the summer. Colin Grant, you know, you don't suddenly become bad players overnight. So, I just don't know what's gone wrong. It's really bizarre. And obviously, West Brom fans are going to point the finger at Steve Bruce. Of course they are. But the players have got to take responsibility as well. They, yeah, I'm, they, not, know, I'm not having that. There's enough quality. I don't care who. Of like, there is. Ted Ted Lasso could be in charge of West Brom, and that team should be doing better. Let's they should be, fair, be the quality. They've in got that one of room. they've got one of the best and you know experience as well. So so much experience, particularly in this league. Two wins out of seventeen. It's atrocious, absolutely atrocious. And you know, the last few weeks you've thought West Brom are down there, but you've not really paid much attention to it because it's West Brom and Chalby, and they're one of the big hitters supposedly in this league. And you would expect them to get out of it with ease. Now you look at the table, see them right at the very foot of it, and you think, if you're a West Brom fan, oh Christ, we could actually go down here. We could actually be a League One club next season. So, Carlos Corbran, personally, I think it's a good appointment. You know, we saw what he could do last year. But, like I always said when he was at Huddersfield, he needs time to implement his style. 
it's one of those which does require a lot of patience. And at the minute, that's not something West Bromwich Albion supporters are going to have. They they haven't got patience. They've run out of them. They've won two games this season. One of them was a no disrespect at home to a whole city side who were leaking goals at the time. You know, they've got the worst home record in the league. It's everything, you know, makes horrific reading. But you can't put the blame, there obviously, really on Carlos no, like, silver, silver lining. There isn't. There's, There's not, nothing. like loads of injuries or... There's nothing. They've just been crap. It's as simple as that. They've been awful. You know, they, they are in a really, really bad mess. And I just didn't see this coming. Nobody foresaw this. I think you had them for the second place, did you? No. No? I think I had them for the title. Yeah, I did. did I have them for the title? I had, uh, Middlesbrough. We were not doing much better. I'm not really. Jesus Christ. My top two, West Brom and Middlesbrough. 21st and 24th. <laughs> yeah, we're really not it's very good expertise. at this, are we? Yeah, but no, let's be honest. They're, they're just in a mess. But Carlos Corbran, you know, he's going to want to implement his style. He's going to need time, but he needs results on the board. Like you said, the World Cup pause is going to come at a good time for him. It'll give him the chance, you know, to get to know his team as individuals get the chance to work with them on the training ground without games getting in the way. But you look at their upcoming fixtures ahead of the pause, they've got another two home games in the next three, Blackpool and Stoke with a trip to QPR sandwiched in the middle. Again, not easy games. Really not. QPR away is not easy. They lost at home to Stoke last season. Blackpool are on an upward curve at the minute. You know, I really do fear for West Brom. I really do. So, the World Cup break is probably going to come at a good time. But before we get to that, my word, they, they've got to get wins on the board and quick because they are in a very, very, very messy situation right now. Coventry City 1, Blackpool 2, George. I want to start off the pitch first with Coventry. It's a, obviously a developing story. <laughs> More controversy with the ownership of the stadium. For anyone who hasn't been following it, Coventry City's game against Blackburn Rovers is unlikely to be played at Coventry and we don't know where it's going to be played right now. Um, this is because Wasps, who own the stadium at Coventry, uh, they've gone into administration and the company obviously has uh, got assets. The stadium is an asset and if you go into administration, your assets can be seized and sold off to pay your debts that you can't afford. And obviously that affects Coventry. They are tenants in that stadium. For anyone not aware, they don't own the stadium. Wasps do. And therefore, as a knock-on um, to this, Coventry don't know where they're going to play their home games. They've got 13,000 season ticket holders. Obviously, tickets have been sold for Tuesday night's game against Blackburn Rovers in the away end as well, about 500. It's an absolute shambles, isn't it? And it's just, again, football fans being taken for a ride. I feel sorry for Coventry, but at the same time, the amount of disruption they are causing for this league, even if it's not their fault, I don't know what the answer is, but this is just untenable. It cannot continue. It's not fair on every other club in the championship that can't play the fixtures when they should be playing the fixtures. And it's not fair on Coventry fans either. But it's 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 not right that Coventry are, are disrupting the, the, the fixture schedule this much, even if it's not their fault. And I know that sounds really harsh, but it, it's just a mess. And a lot of people who sold Coventry Stadium have got questions to answer I think it was the council that sold it in 2014 or whatever it was um, and they don't know where the game's going to be played and it's undermining them on the pitch if Coventry get relegated this season I would put a, a large portion of it down to the fiasco of the stadium because they couldn't play the home games because rugby was being played on it for the uh, for the Commonwealth games and that wrecked the pitch and now they can't play because they don't own the stadium basically even though it's nothing to do with them Ultimately, the decisions that have been made at this football club are costing them on the pitch and their reputation off it. And I feel sorry for the supporters. You know, if you've if you've bought a season ticket at several hundred pounds, you are now like or in all likelihood going to be asked to travel half an hour outside of the the stadium distance to to go and watch a home game. And that's just and, and given the upheaval they've had going to Northampton, going to Birmingham. In recent seasons, it's a joke, and it's got it's just got to end. And I don't know what the right thing is, and and whether it's wrong that Coventry could, you know, maybe they should be sanctioned because it's not right on the rest of the league. But at the same token, it's not the fans' fault nor the club's fault in some situations. Although they should have 
ultimately not solve the stadium. It's it's an absolute mess. I don't know where I stand on it. I, I flip between the two, between feeling very sorry for Coventry and then also thinking, why is it anyone else's problem in the league and they're being so heavily disrupted? So maybe you can you can give a more balanced view. Well, first of all, Coventry won't go down. I'm going to say that much. I really don't think they will go down. I didn't I think, think they would, but then I've looked at these two, two no. home games this week and they've taken one point, George, from Rotherham they at home have and taken, at home. They have, but... I think the performances have been a lot better than the results suggested. You know, they won at Stoke last weekend. And, you know, they've obviously had a lot of away games in there. But they're getting important players back. Hamer's come back into the team in the last few weeks. And, you know, you can see the quality's gone up in the last few results as a result of him coming back in from that ban. I think Coventry will be fine. I if really do. I think there are worse club, teams than them. They would be absolutely fine, of course. No, but I mean, if there was no problems <laughs> yeah. and it was stable like last season, mean. they would be absolutely fine. But I don't think we can underestimate how much this upheaval no, crap it's, it's and, and distraction causes it's, problems for football clubs. It, it just it does. does cause and what problems. if they, get, they could get points does. deducted because of it? It's quite possible. But, you know, I think there is enough talent in the team and in there the dugout, which obviously, you know. Those guys are not at all to blame for this mess. It's not their fault at all. It's nothing to do with Mark Robbins and his players. But I think on the football side of it, I think they'll be fine. I, do, I don't think they go down. I really can't see them going down. And I said that at the start of the season when they obviously had that really shocking start. Obviously, the, the situation off the pitch, it needs resolving. It isn't helping the grand scheme of things. Again, the fans aren't to blame for this. The players, the management, it's not their fault. You know, the EFL have offered them their full support and their backing to get this resolved. It's not a situation Coventry, you know, are responsible. It's not the football club's fault. But it is a situation that needs resolving because you can't, you know, in the event of it happening, I'm not saying it will, in further fixtures perhaps being postponed or, you know, fans having to travel to different stadiums for home games, it's not going to help. But I still believe talent-wise on the pitch, they've got enough. You know, they'll be disappointed with that result on Saturday. They really will be because they would have looked at, like you've said, back-to-back home games this week, Rotherham and um, Blackpool. And they would have thought about that. We can, you know, we we could be getting six points from this. I I expected them to beat Rotherham in midweek. Blackpool, I was a little bit doubtful about, even though I actually went for Coventry in my banker last weekend. Because Blackpool, you know, they've been getting some good results in the last few weeks and they're, they're improving rapidly. Even though I still can't believe Blackpool have had this good run of results and are still barely getting anywhere in the table. It's weird. Seems to have been stuck around the 20-point mark for weeks, not really gone anywhere. It's really weird, but on the pitch on Saturday, I mean, there's only one man to talk about at the minute, isn't there? And that's uh, Jerry Yates. What a run of form he's on. Leading scorer in the league now. I mean, that's seven goals now he's got in the last four Saturdays. He's got a thing for him. I'm just disappointed he didn't get another brace. He's let me down. But, you know, for Michael Appleton, a really good win for them. And, you know, Blackpool, we we criticised them, didn't we, not that long ago. They were looking lost. They were struggling to score goals without Josh Bowler, obviously following his deadline day exit. And we were looking at them thinking they're really, really going to struggle for, you know, for goals. And all of a sudden, Jerry Yates, following that two-goal haul against Watford a few weeks ago, has just, you know, turned into Lionel Messi almost with the, with the goal rate he's getting at the minute. He's on fire and all of a sudden Blackpool, even though they're not really getting anywhere in the table, they're only, they're only six points off the playoff places. So, you know, they're looking up rather than down. They've got a, a five-point gap now to the bottom three. I think Blackpool, just like Coventry, will be absolutely fine this season. I think both sides are too good to, you know, get caught up in the in the mess at the bottom. I do think they will kick on eventually. Coventry in their, in their centre and really get a good run going. But for Blackpool, I mean... You know, think about what they've had in the last few weeks. They've had Sheffield United away, they've had Watford, Coventry, you know, Preston as well in the derby. They've taken a good haul of points from those games and really they should have won that game at Bramall Lane when they came all the way back a couple of weeks ago. So, Michael Appleton will probably be disappointed they've not got as many points as they have achieved in the last few weeks. But overall, inspired by Jerry Yates, Blackpool are on a really good upward curve at the minute. And for teams like that, even though there's a few games left before, you wonder if the World Cup pause is going to hinder them because they've got all that momentum and things are flowing. Jerry Yates, for example, he's going to want to play every single week at the minute. So for teams like Blackpool and other clubs that are on a good run, Burnley, for example, perhaps, you know, they're not going to want this pause. But for somebody like West Brom, as we said a few minutes ago, for Coventry perhaps to sort things out off the pitch, it could be the perfect time. So 
you know, both clubs, obviously, contrasting fortunes at the weekend with the result. But I think both in the grand scheme of things, I think both will be fine this season. I really do. My favourite goal of the weekend, Coventry's goal. I just wanted to say that. Yeah, it was lovely. From Hamer into O'Hare. Beautiful goal. Flick and then a lovely little nutmeg from Casey Palmer with a cool finish at the end. Um, was indeed. Blackpool away end looking very spicy as well, which you like very to orange. see. Very orange. <laughs> very orange. Yes, yes, very orange. <laughs> what a great what a great observation that is. Very orange. Uh, Norwich City 3, Stoke City 1, George. I thought this was a very weird game of football. The scoreline suggests it was very comfortable. Most are in this league, aren't they? They Most are are weird. The the scoreline would suggest this was comfortable for Norwich. But at 1-0, Stoke should have had a penalty, in my view, for Grant Hanley's trip on uh, Tariq Fosu. And Nick Powell missed a very, very good chance with a header over the bar. That said, the second goal was absolutely beautiful. That's my second favourite goal of the weekend. That touch from Timu Puki. I want that on repeat. Um, after a one-two with Aaron Ramsey for him to score his second of the game, it was it was simply divine. Big win for Dean Smith. I don't think the Norwich fans are having him though, despite the win. Um, the performances, as I said earlier in the season when they went on that winning run, I've not been sold on the performances. It's now, it, well, it was seven without a win before this one, so the first win in seven after the late defeat to Burnley. I'm just not sold that they have the quality in performance to be a top two team this season. I don't. I think they're probably good enough for a championship playoff place because of how the division is this season. And I did a little bit of research into what I've been talking about when I've I've said a few times that they're giving up a lot of chances through individual errors. And according to FBref, which is a statistic website, which is is very well known for those that like data, they've, um, before the weekend, they'd already made 10 individual errors in terms of mistakes leading to an opponent's shot. The second worst record is five, which is Rotherham United. So they've given away chances through individual errors, double the amount of any other team in the championship. And I feel like every highlight package I watch, the opposition's chances come where Norwich have tried to play out from the back and Gibson's given a ball away or Hanley's given a ball away or the midfielder's been robbed uh, and then they've, they've been breaking at the, at the defence. And... You know, I know Norwich won, and this sounds really negative. I'm not trying to be, but I I do think this is more a paper over the cracks win than oh Norwich have definitely turned a corner. Well, well, time will tell, won't it? I mean, quite a bold statement that one. You've kind of slagged them off to bits, and they won. I'm not slagging them off to bits. I'm just trying to give you know on this podcast we want to give a better overview than this team won, so they must have played well. Fair enough. But no, I mean, you know, I'll focus on the positives for Norwich then. The fact that they obviously got back to winning ways. Obviously, I think it was seven without a six without a win, was it? Seven? Seven. Uh, six without a win. I've just been looking at my notes. Yeah. You know. Maybe it was first win in seven then. Is what I mean. You know, the you, you look at Norwich and they've got a set of players that, you know, should be competing at the top end of the table. They really should. Certainly in an attacking sense. Obviously, we've seen a lot from Sargent this season. Puki. Not been as vibrant as you would normally expect him, but, you know, he's chipped in and he's been key, you know, in in creating goals for others as well, let's be said, and he proved that at the weekend. And, you know, it's a big way to get back to winning ways ahead of, you know, the final little run before the World Cup pause. They've got QPR at home in the week and that's a huge game, that one, that really is. But I could actually see Norwich winning that one for, you know, the sense from what I saw from QPR against Birmingham on Friday night. I thought QPR looked a little bit leggy, didn't look quite at it. So I wouldn't bet against Norwich winning that one in midweek on Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Yeah, Wednesday night. So that'll be an interesting one. And then they've got Rotherham and Middlesbrough to come after that. So, you know, it's a good opportunity for Norwich to get some points on the board and just try and bridge that gap back to the top two again, because that will remain their ambition this season. There's no doubt about it. And obviously they went on that really good run from the middle of August to the end of September. So, you know, I don't think it's a case of you know, hit the panic button. I don't think there's anything to be alarmed about. They've had a little bit of a slump, admittedly, but what team doesn't in this league? Sheffield United have had a slump of late. One win and they're right back in it. Norwich got one win. They're only a point behind the Blades. They're only a, they're only two points behind QPR. So, you know, you can question about individual errors and how they may have got fortunate the weekend with one or two decisions and whatnot. But the bottom line is they found a way to win the game. They, they've won... Eight out of the first 18 games, you know, Sheffield United have won the same amount. Swansea have won the same amount. and We've been waxing lyrical about them. I think it's just because you've got such an expectancy for Norwich to, you know, after Sheffield recent United years are a far better of, team than Norwich. Oh, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I think Sheffield United have got more about them, but I think Norwich, you know, 
you can't discount them. They've got the ability to hurt teams in this league. So I wouldn't bet against them. I still think they will, you know, they'll be a, a top six contender at the very least this season. They've had a blip. The challenge as it is for so many others when in this league, when you get a win, is to build on it. But we know the nature of the championship. It doesn't always work like that. But for Dean Smith, probably a probably a big weight off his shoulders. They needed that win at the weekend. They really did. Preston North End 2, Middlesbrough 1. Comeback victory for PNE, which they definitely needed at Deepdale because we know the form's not been great in front of their own fans. Switch of formation, probably the highlight uh, talking point from this from Ryan Lowe. For the first time since he became Preston boss, he's been very regimented to a back three, three five two usually, but even three four three. Same at Plymouth. You know, he's been pretty strong whenever he's spoken in the press about his beliefs and ideology and why that formation is the best fit. But he went to four three three. And I think it freshened things up. A front three of Robbie Brady, Emil Reese, Ben Woodburn, who's someone we've not spoken about much this season, signed on a one year deal after his release from Liverpool. And a good comeback victory, an absolute rocket. How hard did Emil Reese hit that volley? For the equaliser, <laughs> that would have taken I, someone's head. If Stefan had got in the way, they broke know. his hand. I honestly don't know. When I watched that back on Saturday night in the highlights, I literally, I think I just shouted something like, "Jesus Christ!" Someone's I couldn't got believe to get some sort of miles much... per hour measure for that. I want to know how fast. Unbelievable! That went. I, I, Could I you imagine if that was over ten miles about... an hour? Easy, I think. Oh, more than that, I would bet. You were saying that what would it have done if it hit Stefan and broke his hand? What the hell would it have done if it hit him in the face? Probably would have just gone over and hit a fan. Probably would have not. If it hit Stefan in the face, it, his head probably would have come off and hit, hit somebody in a way end it with that hard. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable power. But Preston seemed to like goals like that. I think back to Brad Potts' at Luton at the very start of the season. That was a stunner. Very similar in a way. But, you know, a big, big win for Preston. Obviously, they were probably, you know, mindful of the fight. Michael Carrick's first game as Middlesbrough boss. They were going to be up for it. And obviously, it didn't get off to the best of starts. But obviously, Preston found a way. They came back and got the job done. And, you know, we, we've talked about Preston, haven't we, this season, how weird they've been. It's been such a bizarre collection of results, bizarre runs that they've had. But the bottom line is, they're three points off the playoffs. It's not been that bad a start to the season. They're three points off the playoffs. And, you know, when you consider only, you know, for example, just used to one here, Sheffield United, they've only won two more games than Preston have. So, you know, Preston are not that far away from being a top six contender for me. And, you know, we've spoken, obviously, at length about how they struggled for goals. But, you know, when they you know when they put their minds to it, they've got a good team. They have got a good squad. Ryan Lowe, even thing though... that would, you know, you, I, that, that helps your point there is I don't think a lot of Preston players have hit anywhere near their best. No, they players. haven't. But I don't they think haven't. they're good enough personally for a top six push. I... Possibly not with the quality, but I think they've certainly, you know, earned the right to be in the conversation, without a doubt. I think they're certainly up there, you know, in the, in terms of the chasing pack that kind of consider as outsiders for the playoffs. And I did expect them to kick on under Ryan Lowe. And I was actually looking at some stats earlier today and, you know, they've now achieved, I think it's 62 points this calendar year. Only four clubs have taken more in the championship in 2022. So it does show the progress they've made under Ryan Lowe. And they they have overall been good in the last 10 months. So, you know, I think, you know, they deserve more credit than what they've probably got from a few people. Because everybody's looked at their freakish run of results. They've seen that they can't score goals. What was it? Seven clean sheets to start the season with. It was weird, but they weren't scoring at the other end. But the bottom line is, if you would have said to any Preston fan, you're going to be 10th after 18 games, three points off the playoffs, they'd have snapped your hand off. It's just in a weird way that it's come about in the fact that it's not scored and not conceded barely any goals. So it's a strange one. But at the end of the day, they're 10th. They're in a healthy position. I mean, we've been waxing lyrical recently about Luton, Birmingham. They're level on points with Luton. They're ahead of Birmingham in the table. You know, maybe they do deserve a lot more credit than what they've been getting. It's just the freakish nature of their results that have, you know, unfolded that have probably just robbed them of that little bit of credit that they deserve. So... Big win for them at the weekend. Good courage to come back and get the job done. And for them, it's onwards and upwards now because, you know, they've had a decent week. I think they were at Huddersfield week before last uh, in midweek. So, you know, they've, they've been picking points up in it, you know, a reasonably good amount. So, onwards and upwards for Ryan Lowe. I think he's doing a better job than a lot of people think. I think one thing that I do like is the development uh, of the squad at centre-back. I think 
if you told Preston North End fans at the back end of last season they'd be playing if they played a back four, the starting centre backs would be Jordan Story and Liam Lindsay. I think a lot of people would be surprised given neither of them played at all last season. It was obviously Vandenberg who went back, um, Patrick Bauer and Andrew Hughes at left centre back. So Story um, has played every game at right centre back since coming back from loan at Sheffield Wednesday, and Liam Lindsay's pretty much replaced Bauer in the heart of the heart of the defence and has been a really good performer for them. So. That's an interesting development and, and Ryan Lowe's trying to move this squad on definitely. Um, I think we'll be able to draw a little bit more from Middlesbrough hopefully in the coming weeks under Michael Carrick, his first game, but hard to really get too much of an impression on what he might be doing with this squad. Huddersfield 1, Millwall 0. Big win this for Huddersfield to get off the bottom of the league and um, obviously beating a Millwall, form, a Millwall side in great form, having won four in a row before this game. I am going to say now it was definitely a cross from Nakayama. It, I'm not having that as a shot. He definitely tried to cross it into Danny Ward, but overhit it. Nonetheless, I think Huddersfield were good value for the win anyway. They created a lot of chances in this game. Every time I see any highlight of Etienne Kamara, he picks the right pass. He just looks so composed. There was quite a few neat routines on, in and around the edge of the area from set pieces. And every time, the amount of times he like fainted to shoot and then put back onto the opposite foot and played it wide or played a square pass to a teammate in better positions... He's been a, a real bright spark in, in a pretty poor campaign for Huddersfield, to be fair. Jack Radoni was was lively in this one as well. And, you know, the home form was so good last season. It's obviously not been great this season, but it's where they have still picked up the bulk of their points. And ending Millwall's good run, albeit Millwall are not very good on the road, ending that winning run is no mean feat. No, certainly not. And I'll be honest, I, I had Millwall to win as part of my accumulator of the weekend. I've I was quite confident going into that one with the, the form of the two teams that Millwall would win. But in typical championship fashion, it produced a surprise. And, you know, the goal was a complete fluke. There's no denying that he was attempting to cross that ball. But it was enough. And judging by the highlights, you know, Huddersfield were by far the better team. They they carried the greater threat. They should, they should have really increased their lead by at least probably two more goals, to be fair, with the chance they had. Millwall didn't really lay a glove on them from what I saw by all accounts. So... A pretty convincing win, albeit by only one goal. So, for Mark Fothering, I mean, he's got to hope and pray now that it is a step in the right direction because, you know, I think he's come in a little bit heavy-handed, shall we say. I think he's been I mean, a little bit over-critical of his players. I think the way he's hung them out to dry at times has been, you know, a little bit over the top. Because, I mean, you look at that guy's CV and what's he got on it to suggest that I'm the big boy manager that's going to boss you about and knows the way around this league. He's got You think very, he'll swim with that sort of attitude, don't you? It either works you do. for this group of players or you end up or getting sacked before the season's out. That's the thing. And I've had a couple of discussions about him in the last few days, Mark Fotheringham. And, you know, it's been questionable decisions about him. But by all accounts, they played well at the weekend. It's back-to-back clean sheets now. That's a good thing as well. And by all accounts, it's actually three clean sheets now in five. So, you know, there's signs that maybe it is improving gradually. But... One win obviously doesn't make everything all right. They've got to, got to build on it. They've got a big game with Sunderland to come in midweek at home. Sunderland not on the best of runs at the minute. I think they're eight without a win now. But again, it's one of those that you know could go either way. And we're saying that a lot, but it is the nature of this league at the minute. There's been so many surprise results in the last few days. You know, even in midweek, I didn't expect Rotherham to get a point at Coventry and twice be leading that game. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. But Huddersfield, they've got, you know, we've got to take confidence from it. They played well. They got the win. Got a clean sheet. There's nothing to suggest they can't follow it up with another win. The only thing that they need now, obviously, is to find a way to score more goals. That's the problem. They've only scored, you know, I think they've only scored two goals in the last four games now. So, you know, even though there's been improvement, they're still a long way off from being where they need to be. I think you would suppose that if one of those areas is going to drop off, it's better for the attacking side because if you're down the bottom and trying to scrap for points, ultimately, if you're keeping a clean sheet or only conceding one goal, you've got a decent chance of getting something from the game. Whereas even if you score two or three goals, if you're horrific at the back CC Bristol City, um, then it's quite clear that that's not going to be a trend to get points in the Championship at the bottom of the league in particular. Wigan Athletic nil, Watford won. Um, I'm a bit concerned about Wigan. One win in seven. And they're a team that have always played on the fine margins. And that becomes slightly more concerning when it's the, you're losing them. 
Um, obviously, there's been some p- reports this week about some financial concern with the players being paid late. Not the first time that's happened this season. But then on the same day, a free new, a new three-year deal for Liam Richardson. So, bit of a mixed signals coming out of the club at the minute in terms of where they are fin- financially. And the owners, since they've come in, in fairness, have always been quite good at communicating and quite transparent from what I've seen anyway, particularly after the obviously horror show which nearly sent them into League Two when they went into administration. So I'm I'm inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I'm watching that situation closely. Um, But they've got to be bang at it to get results and they haven't been of late. One win at home this season is very surprising and very poor, particularly when that one win was against Blackburn and it should have been a draw. It was a crap game of football. They didn't deserve to win. Neither did Blackburn, but they, they could quite easily be sat with no wins at home this season. And I'm a little bit concerned about Wigan and, and just the the way they set up, there's not a lot of creativity in that team. And unless Keane or Broadhead does something a little bit special or Wyke heads one in and uses his physicality, I, I don't think they're front foot enough. I think they're much more suited to probably playing away from home in the Championship. Yeah, their home form is becoming a concern, isn't it? It's It's been really, really poor since they came back up into the Championship. And for Liam Richardson, I, I, he must be wondering how, how is the best way to resolve this because whatever he seems to try, it doesn't quite seem to come off. That defeat on Saturday to Watford was their fourth successive league defeat. First time in two years since they've lost four in a row. So, you know, it's uncharted territory for this group of players. They've been so used to winning games and and obviously playing so well at League One level last season. So they have got to try and, you know, adjust and realise that they're at a higher level now, which I'm sure they do. But it's like you've said, it's just a case of where's the creativity going to come from? They're not not blessed with the best players in the league and I don't think any Wigan fan would try to claim that they are. But... You know, at the end of the day, you've still got to try and do something. And the fact that now, you know, they got thumped by Middlesbrough in their last home game. That was a, you know, a really unexpected freakish result. Didn't expect them to lose 4-1 in that one. But by all accounts at the same time, judging by the responses to last weekend's defeat at QPR, QPR fans said Wigan played really, really well. So, you know, I, I look at it and I think that they're not far off in the sense that something just needs to click to get them back going again. But at the same time, I look at the squad and I think, is there enough in there to, you know, win games frequently in the championship? So, you know, they had a really good start to the season. They have dropped off a little bit now. And obviously, they're only two points above the bottom three as things stand. There is a long way to go. But you do worry, as I say, where the goals are going to come from. And, you know... Would you argue, and I don't mean it with any disrespect, have they probably got the weakest squad in the division? I think there's certainly, you know, it's certainly up there as one of the weakest. And it makes you wonder if that's going to be a problem for them. But they've just got to find a way somehow to stop this mini rot that's set in. Obviously, you know, at the weekend, Watford at home, you know, Watford have been hit and missed this season. But they're not a bad side, Watford. We know they've got players who can hurt you. And the golfing class really on paper, certainly between Wigan and Watford is is pretty extreme. But, you know, you look ahead for Wigan, the next few games ahead of the World Cup pause, Stoke at home, Swansea away, Coventry away, Blackpool at home. They have got to get something from these home games. They have to, because Swansea away is not easy. Swansea's been doing really well lately. Coventry, we know, hit and miss, but I still fancy Coventry nine times out of ten at home to get the job done. So... That game with Stoke on Wednesday night, massive, massive game for both teams, really. And Wigan, they've got to win this little run that they've experienced because, you know, after the after the pause, they've got Millwall away. As we know, it's one of the hardest places to go. And then just before Christmas, they've got Sheffield United at home. And so it doesn't get much easier for Wigan. So for Liam Richardson, he's, you know, he's got to find a way for me of these next four games ahead of the World Cup. I think ideally he needs to get at least, at least six points from them. And then finally, Cardiff City 1, Rotherham United 0. Important win this for Cardiff after a a bit of a sticky patch in terms of results for Mark Hudson. Lovely solo goal to win this from Philogene Bidance. Lovely shift inside the box, good control, good quick feet and a a curling strike first time after he sort of like rolled it backwards to change the angle. 
really good quality in the box, which Cardiff haven't had a lot of outside of Callum Robinson, who's of course suspended at the moment after his bonkers red card in the in the South Wales derby. Little bit concerned about Rotherham when they don't have um, Jose or Benny on the pitch. I have to say, I think he's their star man. He just gives he changes the quality of the attack because I'm not I don't like Tom Eves. I don't think he's a championship quality striker. Connor Washington works really hard. He's probably a pain in the ass to play against, but he's not going to score you double figures. And Georgie Kelly's incredibly raw and, and was playing part-time a year ago, so can't expect loads from him at championship level two. And the sooner they can get Benny back, the, the, the quicker for me, because he's the star quality, adds dynamism in the attack. That said, they did play very well in midweek against Coventry and bar a controversial penalty, would have got a very good away win there. So not as concerned as I probably am about Wigan. But I do think Obenes just makes a big difference to the attack because they've got good ball players as well. So if you're Barlazer and you're on the ball and you're at, you've got Eves in front of you or you've got Obenes making darting runs, it's just a different ball game for a central midfielder, isn't it? Because you've got someone running behind, stretching play. Um, you can play passes into space when you're under a bit of pressure. So I think he's, he gives a lot to this team. So the sooner they can get him back, the, the better, in my opinion. Oh, without a doubt, definitely. You know, he's a huge loss, isn't he? He was, he was brilliant last season. He's had a good start to this year. And he is arguably Rotherham's main man. He is the go-to man that makes that team flourish so much. And the sooner they get him back, the better. But, you know, for Cardiff, big win for them. They really needed it. And the manager situation, it seems like they are happy to stick with Mark Hudson, it seems. Don't seem to be in any rushes. Not a million miles off two months now since Steve Morrison left the club. I think it was something like the 10th of September or something he left. So, bearing in mind, it's November on Tuesday. I mean, we're not far away from that two-month mark. So, to me, it seems like they, they are happy to continue with him. But I just think they need to put out some sort of statement and say that we are going to stick with him, you know, for the foreseeable. It doesn't really help the situation. But at the same time, you know, he's been, he has been picking up wins. They've been, I think they'll get you know, to they've the a sticky Cup, patch they'll assess it, won't they? Like a lot of clubs. More than likely. Like more than likely, but I think for Cardiff, you know, Rotherham at home, it's a game they would have looked at and thought, it's one we've got to get three points from. They did that. Another clean sheet. They've now got more clean sheets at home than anyone else in the league this season, which caught me by surprise, I must admit, when I discovered that stat. Five clean sheets at home already this year. No team in the Championship's got more at home. So, you know, there is reasons to be positive. Obviously, they came into that off the defeat to Swansea. They got back to winning ways, so... Got a good reaction from that defeat because they were poor against Swansea. They really were. They didn't really lay a glove on them. So you know, overall, a you know a solid victory for Cardiff, but one that you would look at and think not to get too carried away from because they would have looked at that. Rotherham at home got to be a win. Got the job done. On to the next one. Simple as that. Two draws in the Championship. Luton Town won. Sunderland won. Carlton Morris continuing his fine form. He's already matched his tally for Barnsley um, this season with Luton. That was cancelled out by Elliot Embleton. And every time I watch a highlights package with Sunderland, Jack Clark just looks like electric every time I watch yeah, him. Does. He's, looks he's very good. fantastic. I'm excited to see him back playing on the left when they've got some strikers fit and supplying them because he seems to have gone through up to another level this season. So excited to see what he can do in an actual functioning team that have strikers. Elliot Sims was, Elliot Sims was back on the bench and came on, which is encouraging. Ross Stewart, not a million miles away either. Bristol City won, Swansea won. Uh, Tommy Conway back on the score sheet after a slightly more lean patch for him. and uh, But cancelled out by a really good strike from Olivia and Sham. Uh, decent point this for Bristol City and, and probably one that Swansea will, will feel like it was two points dropped, I would say. And that rounds off this weekend's Championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Right, George, as always... We're going to look ahead to next weekend's championship fixtures for our shocks and bankers. Of course, there is a full slate of midweek action, but we're going to put that to one side and look ahead to the weekend games. So, what have you got for this weekend? Well, I must admit, I've struggled to nail a shock. Bankers weren't in short supply, I must admit. So, for my banker, I'm going to go for Swansea at home to Wigan. Obviously, Wigan been stuttering lately. Swansea being really, really good, and particularly at home of late. So, Swansea is my banker. I think I'm, well... Hopefully safe with that one. I've not had much luck with these in recent weeks. I think everything I've predicted in the last few weeks has gone the opposite way. So if you're a Wigan fan, you might have just won next weekend. Uh, so yeah, Swansea's the banker. For my shock, I've had to debate this one. And, you know, there's not many to choose from. But I'm going to go for Rotherham at home to Norwich. Rotherham, obviously, you know, at home being pretty good. Obviously, I know they lost a hull in the last home game. But overall, they've been good. And obviously, Norwich, as you as you've outlined, 
you fear that that win over Stoke might have just papered over the cracks. We'll see what state they're in. We'll see QPR to come in midweek for them. But uh, Rotherham is my shock. So Swansea is the banker. Rotherham the shock this weekend. Uh, for my banker, I'm going to go for Blackburn Rovers to beat Huddersfield. First time I've picked Blackburn Rovers this season for my shock or banker, actually, funnily enough. I'm going to go for them as my banker to beat Huddersfield Town at home. I just think Rovers at Ewood Park. I think it was a good win for Huddersfield, but I'm not convinced they've, they've definitely turned a corner and are playing much miles better. They're probably a bit better defensively, but Blackburn have got a very good knack of getting the first goal. Every time they've scored first, they've won. They They don't drop points once they're ahead, so... I can see Rovers getting their noses in front and then uh, seeing the game out. So I'm going to go for them to beat Huddersfield as my banker. I'm a shock. I'm going to go for Blackpool to beat Luton Town at home. Obviously, goals have not been in short supply for Blackpool in recent games. Three at Sheffield United, four against Preston, two at the weekend against Coventry. Um, And I just think that Luton have maybe dropped a tiny bit in the last couple of weeks with a few of the results after picking up some good steam. I still think they're a very good side, Luton. I still fancy them to be in and around the top six, but... I think Blackpool are playing pretty well at the minute. Jerry Yates is in great form and I could see them with uh, some good home support at Bloomfield Road getting a shock result. So Blackburn is my banker and my shock is Blackpool to beat Luton Town. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts from and you'll get the latest episode for free every single week. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24 as well. And a huge thanks to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Please go and check them out for all your business needs. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. And we'll catch you again next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.